We're moving into the second week of our series out of the book of Ezra, and our focus is being kingdom builders. And, you know, you think about everything you can build and everything that can happen. Last week, we talked about pursuing the promise. Like God has a promise for us. He has a promise um, for us as individuals, promise for us as, as a church, and we want to pursue that. And if you're new to church or, or maybe as we move into our message this morning, just want to talk about something that happened in my life a number of years ago. And maybe some of you uh, can remember back to that. Maybe some of you will be entering in this season soon. But to help us to understand what's been going on. So I'm married. Michelle and I have been married for 11 years. And we've got four kids. And uh, our six-year-old, he had his appendix out this week. So at 10 30 p.m. on Tuesday night, he had his appendix removed, and um, his recovery has been going well To his brother shot him in the abdomen with a Nerf gun yesterday, so that caused a few tears, but uh, it's a good story for me to share with you. And, well, you know, we haven't always, I haven't always been married. There was a time when I was single, and I had a desire to get married. So I did what single guys do. I was taking girls out on dates. I had a few girlfriends, and eventually um, Michelle and I started dating. And then it became for me a pursuit of a promise that one day we would stand before each other uh, in a church and we would say these words, I, Nathan, she would say, I, Michelle, according to the word of God, do leave my former life and join myself to you. I promise before God and this company to unconditionally love, support, accept, and encourage you. I will do my best to help you grow closer to God in every way that I can. I covenant my faithfulness to you in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And our dating time was a pursuing of the opportunity we would have to make that promise to each other. No one told me when I began that pursuit how expensive it was going to be. I had no idea. Like I think about, I think about um, when I was, I was 15 years old and it was my, like my first serious girlfriend. And, um, and we, we had always known each other because we lived on the same street our entire lives. But we ended up sitting next to each other in driver's ed and we started hanging out and talking. And then... And then um, we went to the prom together, and that about broke my bank. And, and um, I, you know, I worked like 10 hours a week for $4.50 an hour, and I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. So it's all my money, and then we started dating, and then the movies, like, I, could, I couldn't, I never went to movies with my friends because I couldn't afford it. And I had to pay for two people. And, and as we, as Michelle and I begin to date, and now at this point I'm older, I have a full-time job, and, and, uh, and, and so we're going on dates. But then when it begins to move into marriage, it's like, oh man, i got to buy a ring, and, I've gotta, um, uh, and we've got to plan for a wedding and pay for a wedding, and we've got to, uh, you know, and, and all these expenses added up. And in order for me to pursue that promise... That day when we're going to make that commitment to each other, it was going to take resources. It was going to cost me something to pursue the promise. And that's what I want to talk about today. God has given us a promise. And last week we talked about pursuing that promise. But today there's the very real 
uh, challenge of the provision needed to even begin pursuing the promise that God has for us. It is going to cost something. It's going to cost us something. And not just, like we're talking about us as a church and what the promise that God has for us that we're moving forward, but you're beginning, some of you are pursuing promises that God has for you. And uh, when we did the launch series a few months ago, God began to stir stuff in people's hearts. And I've, I've gotten um, some emails about different people. So there's one person who said, in that series, I felt that God was telling me to, do for, God was telling me to pursue a, a career change. And they sent me the testimony, hey, I've done it. Uh, I, I, it, was, it was never in my radar before the launch series, but God changed something in that. And now it's cost me uh, a decrease in my salary. It's cost me, um, you, you know, to move out of the area. I had a degree and I, was, and I had expertise. But now I've, uh, the way I feel that I've stepped into what God was drawing me into is, and, and they were just giving a testimony, like even with the cost of a decreased salary, the improvement in their life, in their joy, in their peace, it just in their understanding of God's plan for them changed so much. There is, uh, there is the, the cost of God's been calling you to pursue a degree. And he's just a promise, you know, that he's had that, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to step into this. Um, you, you're going to be equipped for this. But there's going to be a cost to pursuing that. And then even if you've been feeling at our church as you've been coming, you've been feeling this draw in your heart and in your life to begin to pursue Jesus. You just feel it like, this is, this is what I need. This is, this is who I need to follow. This is, um, this is what I what I've wanted, I, I need Jesus. I need to pursue him and follow him in my life. There's even costs in your life when you make a decision to pursue him and pursue his promise for your life. Last week when we started this series, Pursuing God's Promise, it's kind of the exciting part, the adventure of it. But then you start to figure out what it's really going to take, the commitment it's going to take. You're not going to quit on this. The, the character that it's going to take to move forward in this. And then if you get out your calculator, you begin to add it up and begin to realize this, this will not be easy. Pursuing God's promise takes provision. God has called you to do something. He's called us to do something. Let's talk about us as Restoration Church. If you're here and you're here for the first time, I, we're really glad that you're here. And what we want you to hear beyond anything is we want you to hear about Jesus and to hear this church's heart for people who don't yet know him. And if you're here, you moved to the area and it's your first time coming here, you're trying to figure out where you want to go to church, this is going to allow you to hear our heart and, and hopefully... Um, will allow you to connect with us because we believe uh, that God could have moved you here to be a part of this, to be a part of what he wants to do in this area and even around the world. God's promise for us that we talked about last week is that we would be kingdom builders. We're not going to be a church that we just show up for service. We're not going to be a church that's only concerned about us. 
We're going to be a church that's concerned about the kingdom of God. It's going to build the kingdom of God. Not to build our own kingdom, but to build his kingdom. We believe that God's called us to build the kingdom of God in northern New England. That's the states of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. About three million people today who, have, who will not attend church. Not because they're skipping, but because they're not connected to any type of church. Three million people across those three states. And we believe that we're not the only church, but that we're one church that God has, um, God has given this assignment to, um, to share his good news with those people. We are going to plant restoration churches in northern New England. Um, we, at this point, we have three locations in Dover and Plymouth and in Londonderry. We're believing that God, um, for the last eight years, has just been putting it in our heart that, uh, that there will be more. We're going to support other church plants that happen in this region as well because it's going to take a lot of a lot of churches to reach three million people. And then we also believe that part of our assignment is to develop future church leaders and future missionaries. We also believe that God's called us to build the kingdom of God around the world. Not to just be focused here, but to be focused on people groups and language groups and ethnic groups all around the world. That even from this place, even from New Hampshire, we could make a significant, eternal difference. All of us, not me, not just me and the staff, but us as Restoration Church, we can make a difference. If you weren't here last week, I restated a dream that I uh, just kind of threw in, kind of under the radar in a sermon in January of 2012. And we were talking about all the things we believed that God would do in our church. And we can see God moving in all these different areas and where he's begun to build his church in, in all these different areas. But there's one that we haven't really spoken about since. And there was one that just seemed so big and so outrageous that we've almost been embarrassed or too shy to speak of. But last week, we began to speak about it for the first time since 2012 and believing that now God is calling us to pursue this, that God is calling us to begin to go after this. And it was this dream that we would be a church, Restoration Church at all of our locations, all of us combined, we would be a church that would give $1 million a year to missions. We are very far from that right now. But that is our pursuit. This is now the season where we are beginning to take those initial steps and those baby steps going after that. We, um, we can think like, that's so outrageous, that's so impossible, but we, we have got to, and what we'll see today is, yeah, we're going to pursue that promise, we're going to pursue that dream. We know that it's going to take provision and resources and money to ever get there, but we also know who we serve. We also know that we're not the first people who've, who've done this. Uh, just, um, I, I don't remember when it was, but within the last couple of months, I 
was not here on a Sunday. Pastor Dan was preaching at our locations, and so I took the Sunday to go attend another church. And there's a church 50 minutes south of Dover, New Hampshire. So it's right around the neighborhood, right in our neighborhood. And uh, the church, name of the church is Calvary Christian Church there in Linfield, Massachusetts. I know the pastor, his name is Tim Schmidt. He's been there for a number of years. And right there, just 50 minutes south of our Dover location, that church, for a few years now, they have been giving a, over a million dollars a year to missions. They're right next door to us. Here's one thing that we believe. If God can do it for someone else, he absolutely can do it for us. If God can, can, uh, can, can bless that congregation where they're able to give above their tithe to be, able to, uh, to be able to be kingdom builders all across the world, if God can do it there, then he can do it here. And we're, we're right now posturing ourselves to say, and to say in faith, God, we want to be used that way too. We want to be kingdom builders. So this dream, we're calling it this, Kingdom Builders. You're going to hear us talk about this for the rest of the time that I'm ever pastor here at this church. Kingdom Builders, we will, as people who give and we're obedient with the tithe, we'll give our tithes, but also we'll begin to give toward, above our tithes toward Kingdom Builders. Just a kind of a practical thing, if you are a person who um, has regularly given to missions, that's a category, uh, you will, that category is now called kingdom builders. So those of you who have already been giving monthly and being a part of this for, for a, a number of decades, um, we're, you'll continue to give toward missions, but we're just designating that as kingdom builders, and that's already been switched on the website. We will believe for this, we will go after this, We'll ask God to use us in this, and, and really it is going to be our joy to one day have done this. We don't know how long it could be. It could take us three years. It could take us 10 years. It could take us 15 years. We do know as we begin to pursue this, God is calling us to this. God is going to equip us to this, and that God is going to do this. If you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Ezra. Uh, you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, and uh, you can grab one for free at the Welcome Center. You can also download it on your phone. Definitely recommend you stay connected in this, that you are opening up your Bible because God could speak to you during these messages, and you want to be able to highlight that, be able to underline that, be able to write notes on, on your Bible about what God's speaking to you. And this morning, you want to keep that open because, well, actually, we're going to be almost looking at the entire book um, because we want to see what God did over a number of years. And uh, so you want to stay there because we'll be jumping from a few different chapters. And what happened in the, in the very beginning of this, of the book of Ezra, God was reminding his people of a promise that he had made. And he was telling them, all right, it's time to pursue the promise. I told you to wait, but now it's time to pursue it. And the promise we find uh, uh, almost seven decades earlier in the book of Jeremiah where God said through the prophet Jeremiah, I will bring you home again. And it was time for them to return to Jerusalem. 
And they had been living in Babylon, and they had been scattered kind of throughout the, the region. And God was saying, all right, it's time now to go back. It's time now to be kingdom builders. And when King Cyrus told the people of God they could return to Jerusalem to rebuild, there was about, a, there was about one million people in, in, in Babylon and kind of around there. And of that one million people who had the opportunity to return back to the land of their fathers, only 40,000 people joined the leadership to go. So here was this huge task before them, which would have been easy if a million people were participating, but now there were only 40,000 people going. And they were going to rebuild the temple, and, uh, but how are they going to do that? How would they afford it? I mean, the, the Bible had very specific has very specific uh, requirements of what types of materials would be used and, how, and, and what it would look like and how are they going to afford it? How are they going to get all those resources? How are they going to have the manpower to build it? Some of the stones used in the wall are estimated to weigh over 200 tons. And then the, and then the temple was uh, parts of it uh, 16 to 20 stories high. And just the amount of uh, literal resources, you know, the amount of wood, the amount of stone, plus the amount of money it was going to take to trade and to buy these materials, it was absolutely, had to have seemed overwhelming. Sure, they had the opportunity to pursue the promise, but how would they have the resources for it? They had to believe that... um, that God would provide for his promises. Now, let's talk through the timeline here. We look at the book of Ezra, and it really continues all the way through the book of Nehemiah, and that's one story, and it, it is over a number of years. So there's three different things that happened and three different leaders that showed up. The first was a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, and he, when King Cyrus said, all right, you can go and rebuild, you go back to Jerusalem, rebuild it, Zerubbabel was the one who led that. And he and that 40,000 people went back. It took him two years to just build the foundation of the temple. And uh, after two years of work, they, were, they had a huge party to celebrate that. But then there became all kinds of opposition. And it took them 20 years in total to rebuild the temple. After that, Ezra, who, this, who wrote this book and who, uh, who was another leader, he came on the scene, and in 458 B.C., he led out to rebuild the spiritual life of the people of God. And it took all kinds of resources for that to happen because they had to reinstitute the uh, worship in the temple and the, all kinds of materials needed to be able to do that and to have their services and to have their um, uh, and to have their ceremonial feasts. Then in 444 BC, that's where Nehemiah showed up and he had a vision and a burden in his heart to rebuild the wall around the city. And he led that endeavor, uh, completing the wall in just 52 days. But all in all, from Ezra 1 till the completion of the walls, it was 92 years that passed. So God gave them, hey, there's a promise, I will bring you home again. But then there was 92 years of work ahead of them and three significant phases that took significant resources. And what I want to see 
in this morning as we study the scripture is to see how God provided for his promise. They pursued it. And what we see is that God provided everything they needed to accomplish that. God provides for his promises. God provides for his promises. So look at Ezra chapter 1, verse number 7. Um, what we want to see is because one thing that I want you to begin looking at is, all right, we're believing that God is going to use us to be kingdom builders. God is going to use us to give uh, significantly to his work, to global mission, to local church expansion, to raising up future Christian leaders. We're believing that God's going to use us in that. Well, God's going to use every single one of us. So you got, you, you, what you have to begin thinking right now is, all right, God, how are you going to use me? How am I going to give toward that? I don't know how I can participate in this. God, I, I would love to give significantly toward this, but I just don't see there's any way I could do that. Um, we want to look at what God did then and begin to believe that God can do that for us now. The same way he provided for them, he can provide in, the, in a way, in a similar way for us. So in Ezra 1, verse number 7, King Cyrus, so this is at the very beginning of it, uh, he, this is King Cyrus working with Zerubbabel, and he said, uh, King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his own gods. Brief history here. King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, and, uh, and then he robbed the temple. Just went in, ransacked it, took every holy item, every, uh, all, of the, all, all of the religious materials they had, um, and stole it all, brought it, and, uh, and brought it to his own temple where they worshipped other gods. Now, here we are under a new king, uh, King Cyrus being leader of, of the Persian Empire, not the leader of the Babylonian Empire like King Nebuchadnezzar was. And King Cyrus says, hey, God has, just put, God has just told me to tell you to go rebuild your temple, reinstitute the worship of your own God, to go and, and, and to be your own people group again. And he went into the treasury and took everything that had been stolen from the people of God and returned it back to them just decades and decades later. And if we're going to think about how God is going to provide, how God is going to give us resources to pursue his dream, one thing that I think is very important here is that God will give you back what's already yours. That there's been things stolen from you, ways you've been wronged, ways that you've been, you know, resources have been taken from you. And you, and I just believe that as part of this pursuit, God is going to give it back to you again. It not, may not be uh, uh, it's kind of a literal thing, but, but, but God is going to return the resources that have been taken from you. So you know, one thing that I've, you know, I've got friends and I've got family members who are, who are older than me. The one thing that I see a few of them struggle with is they have bitterness over ways they were robbed 30 years ago. So they hired a bad contractor and he did a terrible job and took all their money and they're bitter about that still 30 years later. They bought a car and it was a lemon and they had to put all this money into getting it fixed and the car was never good and they, they got ripped off and they're still bitter about that years and years later. 
They had money stolen from them from a family member. They stole their allowance, stole their piggy bank, uh, came and stole their identity and did all kinds of horrific things and stole and messed up their life. And they're bitter about that. Listen, what's been taken will be given back. It will be. We, and so what that does, first, what does that do for our heart and our spiritual life? It lets us off, it lets us off the hook to say, to, to just be replaying how we've been wronged and replaying, I should have taken them to court, to replaying, I should have burned down their house, to re, be replaying, like, I should have, I, you know, I, I, I should have made them uh, uh, come to my house and, uh, and, and watch the movie Super Buddies with my kid over and over again. Like, there's some way I should have got revenge. There's some way I should have tortured them. There's some way I should have, I, I should have sought retribution. There's some way I should have harmed them. And instead of allowing that to pollute your heart and pollute your soul, you just begin to say, hey, God, I trust you. There's been things that were stolen from me, things that you gave to me things that you blessed me with, things that belong not just to me, but they belong to you because I'm a manager of what you've given. So there are things that have been stolen from you, God. And I'm just trusting you with that. I'm not going to seek revenge or retribution. I'm just going to trust you. God, I pray, return back what's been stolen from you. Return back what's been stolen from me. God, provides what was already yours. In Ezra chapter 2, verse number 68, we read this. It says, When they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. Verse number 69, And each leader gave as much as he could. God provides through his leaders. And I'm a leader of the church. I'm not the only leader of the church. We had our quarterly leaders meeting on Thursday night, and uh, we had all three locations gathered together online on a Zoom meeting. We shared testimonies. We prayed, and we talked about kingdom builders together. We talked about the projects that we're believing to give to in 2019, and I'll share those with you next week. We talked about uh, our goal of uh, that I'll share with you in a moment that we want to give next year, but I, po- I, I spoke to them a bit more directly than I'll speak to you because um, uh, they're leaders. I said, you're going to make the first commitment. You're going to make the first gift. You're going to you're gonna be kingdom builders. We're going to lead the way. And there was, uh, there was about 50 of us in that meeting. We're going to lead the way in faith. For our church, so we, we're, we're not just gonna, we're not looking at other people to do this. We're asking God, use me to be a part of this. We have a, 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 an offering toward kingdom builders after Thanksgiving, and they've, they've had a few days ahead of you to begin praying what they could do. Um, in January, we'll be making commitments for 2019, and, and they've had a few days, and just it, for a leader, it is not optional for us to participate. And as leadership, we just want the rest of the church to know we believe God is leading us in this. 
And uh, so God gives you what's already yours. God provides through leaders and through their faithfulness and through their leadership. And uh, also, uh, so skip over a couple chapters to Ezra chapter 6. What we see now is a different part of the timeline. This is about uh, 460, 458 BC. This is now the time of Ezra. The temple has been completed, but the Building of the kingdom has not been completed. And Ezra now is going to work on rebuilding the spiritual life. And so the king at this time is King Artaxerxes, and he's leader of the Persian Empire. And he then begins to lead an opportunity for Ezra to come in, and he, and he begins to request Ezra to go forward and to, and to continue the work. And he says this in verse number 8 of chapter 6. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to help these elders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay the full construction costs without delay from my taxes collected in the province west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not be interrupted. So he's asking Ezra, you need to go and you need to uh, redo the temple because it, it, it just, it, it needs to be redone. It needs to better represent what has been uh, pre uh, prescribed to you through the, uh, through the Old Testament. And uh, so it's going to take a lot of resources, but I'm going to, King Artaxerxes, who's not a person of God, he's not a follower of God, says, he sends out this decree to his governors, hey, you're going to pay for the full construction cost and the full cost of this endeavor through taxes. Just to kind of imagine that, like, uh, you, you know, here is this guy who worship, who's a pagan, worships uh, foreign gods, saying, uh, we're going to pay for this out of our taxes, out of our own treasury. This needs to be done. Let's think about this in our, in our own culture. Obviously, people are so wound up about uh, church and state, and, uh, uh, and, and definitely for the church, there's benefit for us to be separated, and, uh, but what... But imagine when we were going to buy this building in 2016, if the mayor said, uh, hey, Pastor, hey, Pastor Nate, or, or when they were building the building in Plymouth in 1991, they went to the pastors there and said, hey, we, we're going to uh, take from th these wards and all the taxes from these wards we're going to give to you to pay the full construction cost of your facility. This is a little bit a little bit wild, a little bit um, hard to believe. But this is what King Artaxerxes has done. And what we begin to see here is that God provides through unexpected ways. And you're in your head logically thinking, God, how could you provide? How could I do this? And, and you're like, well, you know, um, usually I get a 1% a raise every year, uh, you, you know, and, and, and so I can just count on that and, and plan on that. But God can provide through unexpected ways, and God will provide through unexpected ways when you're pursuing his promise because he wants to, he wants to provide for his promise. It could, be, uh, it could be getting overtime. It could be receiving an inheritance. You could get a promotion. Uh, there could be an increased tax return. There could be a sale of property. Um, you don't know. We don't know how right now, but we just know and believe in faith that God is going to provide. He's going to provide in ways you didn't expect. 
because he is concerned about fulfilling his promise. You may, you are not limited by your current wage and God's ability to give you, if you're on a, a fixed income, you are not limited by that fixed income to be used by God. God is not limited by that. He, if you're pursuing his promise, he can move in unexpected ways. And then lastly, verse number seven, excuse me, chapter number seven, verse number six. The end of that verse, um, Ezra, he goes up, it says, uh, he came up to Jerusalem from, ba from Babylon and the king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord was on him. Uh, last thing is this, God provides through your requests. When you ask God and you, in this case, Ezra asked the king, God provided for him because he had the hand of God in his life. He had the favor of God. When we are pursuing his promises and the promises that God has for us, you know what that means? We have the favor of God. And there are things we ask of him and even things we ask of our employer that we receive because it is one of the ways that God funds and God provides for his promise. Today, as a church, today at every location, we start asking. We start making requests to our king who is above every other king, asking him to provide, asking him the resource, asking him to help us to begin giving a million dollars a year toward kingdom builders. And we want to be that church. We aren't there yet, and that's not where we're, that's not our goal for 2019, but we are starting today. We are starting to ask him today. We're starting to believe for this today. We're starting to pray today. We're starting to dream today. We are pursuing that promise, and even we're going to start um, receiving from the Lord today in this week toward this as we ask. Our goal by the end of 2019 will be have, to have given $50,000 above the tithe toward Kingdom Builders. So we're starting a few months earlier to give us a head start in the year, but we're just believing this. We haven't given that amount before toward missions or to Kingdom Builders. We've never given that amount before. We've never given that high, but this is our goal, and $50,000 is far away from being a billion dollars, but we are starting today. Knowing that the dream God's put in our heart is bigger than we could, uh, than, than we can do on our own, but saying, hey, that dream's not too big, that we're, that we're too afraid to begin, so this is where we're starting. I said it before, we'll have a uh, and a uh, miracle offering after Thanksgiving that you can begin to pray about and requesting, God, I want to give toward that. God, here's the amount I'd like to give toward that. Just begin to pray, and all of a sudden, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up one way or another through an unexpected way, through a return of something that's been stolen from you, through, through just a, a, a blessing of God, and, um, and you'll be able to celebrate that. In January, we'll make commitments, and, and we're, we're not making commitments now. We're waiting a, a few more months because we want you to be praying about this. Not just doing something because you're feeling 
maybe a, a emotional during this message, but but to say, God, I want to dream your dreams. I want to be about what you're about. God, I don't want to just write what's comfortable for me. God, is there, what is it that you want me to do? How can I be a part of this? How can I be a kingdom builder making that request? God, use me. God, use me. And as a church, we're praying, God, use us. When you were pursuing the promise and you got to that wedding day and you made that promise, you know, that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning of what was in store for you. The great experiences and the great moments and the great memories. And it was just the beginning. And this next year for us is just the beginning. And even when one day in the future we are beginning to give a million dollars a year, we will get there that's just the beginning for us. Just the beginning for us. There are lives who will be changed, people groups who will be reached, churches that will be started, churches that will be built, missionaries and, and leaders, uh, and marketplace leaders uh, that will be raised up who will not be church attenders, but who will be kingdom builders. It's just the beginning. We're pursuing the promise God is going to provide for his promise. He's going to provide everything we need in that pursuit. Will you close your eyes? And I just want to pray for you, Jesus, for every single person here. There are some of us who, uh, there are some here who have never known you, never made the decision to follow you, and they've been worrying about what it's going to cost them and what they might have to give up. But I just pray they'll pursue you, and they'll pursue your promise of forgiveness and your promise of everlasting life and your promise of being with them. And, uh, and I pray they would, they, would, they would just give up anything necessary to give their life to you and to follow you. God, there are some of us in here, and, uh, and we're just struggling because we just feel cynical. Like, oh, man, whatever, like, this is just some ploy, or, or, or I, I don't think I want to be a part of this, or, or they're annoyed or bothered in some way. I just pray that a person who's feeling that way, if they're declaring themselves a follower of Jesus, then they would be open to your Holy Spirit doing a transformative work in their heart because what is coming out of cynicism and annoyance is showing something that's going on in their heart. Why, why, is, it, why is it that there is not a concern for people who are far from you? Why is it a concern, not a concern for your kingdom and your good news being shared around the whole world? Why is there that negativity? Allow, I pray that they will proceed, that they will talk to you about that and they'll allow you to do a work in their heart. God, for the so many of us who at our leaders meeting after church last Sunday, who who with tears in their eyes have expressed to me, I'm excited about this. I can't wait to be a part of this. I'm so I'm so glad that we're that we're doing this. I'm so glad this is what God has for us. For every single person like that, we pray for your favor. We pray for your provision. We pray for your blessing, and we pray, God, that um, that we won't give up. We thank you in advance. 
for what you're going to do. We know that what we're, what we're trying to do is way beyond what we could ever do. But you're not afraid. You're not limited. So we're just going to pursue you. We're just going to pursue you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.